So last week uh, we started in Psalm 5 and Psalm 51 as we are in a series right now in the Psalms just because they're so incredible, how they give us the freedom to be authentic with God in the wild and wide range of emotions that we have as humans. But last week as we looked at how David deals with his enemies and got a bit into Jesus at the end, I just felt like we got to stay here a little longer. Not quite ready for the next psalm, though. I'm already excited about it and know where we're going. Just felt a pause of where we landed on Jesus talking about enemies. It's just so darn hard <laughs> that I wanted to spend a little more time here and, and soak in it. And it is, I believe, a, another aspect of God's word that is so incredibly relevant for our day, for our time, for our culture, for such a time as this. As we spoke of briefly last time, there's, there's such a move in our world right now. And, I, you know, I don't know all the sources we've talked about, the enemy's plan to divide, but it just seems so heightened right now in this, this message of us versus them and this encouragement, if you will, to draw so many lines around yourself and others and have these clear categories of you're not with me, you're against me, you're my enemy, you're different than me. And, and just to use that as kind of the battle lines of how we should see the world and see other people. And now don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying in any way that there's not right and wrong, like God's word is all about the truth of who God is. And so no, we're not just supposed to be like, oh yeah, you can have a, a, you know, an antichrist, kill all the babies and hate everyone. And yeah, well, I don't care. Yeah, you do you, I do me. Not at all. But how do we respond to people? And, and Jesus has this ethic that is so challenging. When he says, love your enemies, as we talked about it last week, no religious leader had said that. And no one has ever put it into practice as good as Jesus. But I'm, if I'm honest, what my tendency to do with a call to love your enemies, so let's just read the verse real quick. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he who makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That verse is so challenging and so different than what we can do on our own strength. And this is for myself speaking, and I think we're all human, so I, I think you could relate. It's one of those verses that's easily categorized as like too idealistic, too good to be true. Uh, that's Jesus can do it, but that's not for me. And we kind of just unintentionally put it in the, I'm going to ignore that Bible verse file. Instead of letting it just wreck us with good news that this is actually the life that Jesus believes and wants and calls you and I to live. 
Or another way to ask the question is, is loving our enemies a small side note of Christianity? Or is it one of the primary and core ethics of being a follower of Jesus? Is it one of those verses that's just too hard or too impractical so we effectively ignore it? Or is it absolutely at the core of how we intentionally show the world what God is like? And so I want to take us to uh, an example this morning. And we kind of weave Jesus and then this real life example of a man who wrestled with this deeply and I believe caught the heart of Jesus and preached the heart of Jesus and lived out this ethic in probably the best way we've ever seen, ever, except Jesus himself. That's my personal opinion, though, <laughs> at least in the top three. I, and I really think lived this out in a way that is what Jesus had in mind. So we're going to look this morning to the towering uh, example of Dr. Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. and the way that he loved his enemies. So I, I remember back in college, I was probably 20 or 21, and started reading some of, of his work. If you want to go to the, the, the great source, kind of quick and easy, short, his book called Strength to Love, short little essays, actually they're his sermons that were put into, because he was a preacher, he was a child of God, a man of God, brother in Christ first and foremost, and he knew that, lived from that. So these little essays are essentially his sermons, they were adapted into essay form. Most of the book is wrestling with this right here. What on earth does it even look like to love your enemies? If it's true that this is one of the primary ways that Christians are supposed to carry with them intentionally the way to show the world what God is like, what, what does that look like? And so I was drawn to his, his wrestling with how do you love your enemies? Because I never really, I, honestly, I'd never read anything on it other than Jesus and once you get into it, you can see that actually Jesus is doing this all over the place. Watch for how Jesus calls out people that are different. Samaritans, women, tax collectors, prostitutes. Those are clear categories. So drawing lines and putting people in categories to say us versus them is not new. But every time, why, why doesn't it just say Jesus ministered to a person. Why does it say Jesus sat down with a Samaritan woman at noon? Because every single one of those things is breaking down a barrier that that world at that time said, for this reason, she's your enemy. For this reason, she's your enemy. And for this reason. So Jesus went after like triple enemy, public enemy number one for a first century Jew. So it's, it's all over the place. Once you see it. But I had never read anything in the current context, kind of like a modern world. How do you live this out? So as I got into it, I was like, oh my gosh. He's carrying with him, intentionally carrying with him a completely different method 
and motivation and goal, this is Dr. King, than what we would do on our own strength. And I do believe this is like, wow, this is what Jesus had in mind. He helped me see, like, Jesus was not messing around when he said, love your enemies. This isn't Jesus the philosopher who's going to throw out these high, you know, ideals just to sound nice. Like, this is, Jesus really meant it. It's actually a core, if not the core ethic on how to show God's love to the world, to people that are hostile to God, and maybe because of that, hostile to you. And if you actually get into the verse, it's like, that's what he's, Jesus is saying. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father, daughters, children of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends out his reign on the just and the unjust. So that whole point of Jesus is saying, love your enemies is saying, so that you show the world what it's like to be children of God. In other words, so that you show the world by being like a chip off the old block, by being like your father in heaven who shines goodness to the evil and the good, to the just and the unjust. He doesn't discriminate who he's good to, who he loves. He shines it all over the place. So show the world what your father's like and do the same thing. So like, wow. So loving your enemies is actually really deeply connected to loving God and to, to receiving the gospel and actually living out the gospel that we believe because actually if we believe the gospel, it's that we started as his enemy. That's Romans 5. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. And so the more I got into Jesus and Dr. King, it's like, oh my gosh, this has got to be something that we wrestle with as our core witness, like that we are intentionally carrying with us a, a battle plan because <laughs> life's going to be a battle and we're going to face opposition, in, sometimes inside the home, in families, in friends, and then out there in big picture stuff. But we're going to face opposition and what is our battle plan, our method, our motivation, and our goal? And is it lined up with Jesus's? And so that's where, man, I found Dr. King to be like, I've never read anything like this. And, it, it's, it, and I loved seeing or hearing, reading, reading him wrestle with it and talking about you got to die to yourself to live this out. And, and that started to like make a whole lot of sense because it's, this is a simple call, love your enemies. But if it's not, to, I mean, if, this, if that's not a call to die to yourself, what is? And if you're not feeling that it's calling you to die to yourself, you're probably not trying to live it out. Or you're way, way more like Jesus than most of us. And so... Getting into his readings, his, his writings, Dr. King, combined that with the context of enemies. I mean, you talk about having enemies. <sighs> he had enemies. He faced death threats regularly. I mean, can you imagine just having your phone ring regularly 
with just a, you know, a, a dark and ominous voice saying horrible things that they're going to do to your wife and kids. <laughs> Let's get some justice. <laughs> I mean, regularly. Arrested 30 times, almost 30 times. His house was bombed. I mean, the amount of beatings and, and, and stabbings, stonings, lost count. Sounds like the Apostle Paul, you know, laying down the list. Solitary confinement. The FBI was against him. The FBI mislabeled him as a communist and, and wiretapped his house, sent him threatening letters. Can you imagine getting threatening letters from the FBI? I mean, the, there's this sense of like, you're going to die. Attacked by police dogs, shot with fire hoses. I mean, talk about enemies. Wow, the pressure he faced. I mean, the, the, the message from so many effectively just being, I absolutely hate your guts and want you to die and your kids and your wife. But in the midst of that, some of these letters in this book of Strength of Love are written from jail. And in the midst of it all, his word, his, his, his commitment to, to wrestling with, so what does it look like to love your enemies? Because I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is what Jesus said. Never swayed from that. And he wrote very simply in one place that love of even enemies is the key to the solutions of the problems in our world. And it's like, how, how can you write that when you faced what you faced? Could I write that? Could I live that? Could I carry that with me? Facing all that kind of opposition, could I maintain this perspective? Could I put on Christ another day and say, nope, the solution to the problems I'm facing is to love my enemies like Jesus did. Can I carry that? And he would go on to write things like, you know, some people may say that Jesus' teachings and his writings on this are, are they're weak or they're cowardly or they're, they're just, a, you know, the philosophizing of a, of a, of a teacher. It's, he's, Jesus is an impractical idealist. Like, yeah, I love your enemies. That sounds nice. It sounds fluffy. Sounds religious. Sounds godly. But it's not practical. It's not what you actually do when you're faced with an enemy. Those are the words of an impractical idealist. That was a critique that he, he faced. But the conviction was, no, no. <laughs> it's quite simple in some ways. Jesus meant what he said. Dr. King believed that Jesus was a practical realist, and he uses that language in his writings. A practical realist in that showing this undeserved love and goodness to enemies is actually the only practical thing that's powerful enough to change hearts one at a time and thus change the world. And so he intentionally clothed himself 
with a love your enemies mindset that had a different method, a different motivation, and a different goal than anything we could do on our strength. So I want to look real briefly at those, those three things. So the method, and we've already been talking about it. But I, here's a quote that's incredible. Dr. King says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence in a descending spiral of destruction. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's setting forth a profound and ultimately inescapable admonition. Have we not come to such an impasse in the modern world that we must love our enemies or else? The chain reaction of evil, hate begetting hate, wars producing wars, must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. That's a very poetic, beautiful, powerful, challenging way of, is that not saying exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 5? You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You have heard it said, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. So this, this concept of what is going to stop a cycle of darkness? What is going to stop a cycle of hate? Is it more hate? Is it a stronger hate? Is it a stronger darkness? Or is it an undeserved, overwhelming love? Maybe we need to ask a question, what drove the darkness out of our hearts? What drove the hate out of our hearts? Hopefully, it was the overwhelming love of God. And Dr. King says, well, that's the exact same thing that then Jesus says, pour that out on the world. So the method is, wow, challenging. What's the motivation? So we're in 1963, his I Have a Dream speech. It's a vision for America. It's a goal. If you can go find some clips of that and that whole day, so incredible. But a few excerpts from, from his speech tells us what's the goal of it all. So you can, and I would even say, compare this with what we see in our world right now and the various methods that are taking place, the motivation, and what's the goal of it all? Those are important questions to ask. What's the goal of this? Here was Dr. King's goal. I have a dream, a vision, a prayer that... And he just let's run through a few things. On one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slave, slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. 
that Mississippi will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice, that my four little children will one day live in a nation, this famous, that they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. One day in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. Now we will, with this faith, we will be able to transform the dangling discords of our nation into a what? Beautiful symphony of brotherhood. We will be able to work together, pray together, struggle together, go to jail together, stand up for freedom together, knowing that one day we will be free. There will be a day when all of God's children will be able to join hands and sing with new meaning, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. As early as 1956, when the Montgomery boycotts, uh, bus boycotts, uh, were effective in the Supreme Court desegregated sitting next to each other on buses. What's the goal? What's the point of all this? And his quote was, the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. What does he mean by the beloved community? He's talking Ephesians 2. He's talking how the cross, Jesus went to the cross to reconcile God, excuse me, reconcile humanity to God and one another. It's a beautiful passage we've looked at. Ephesians 2, 14 to 15. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made two groups. What groups? Any groups. Those are the dividing lines, those categories, us versus them. You're my enemy two groups into one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. The purpose of Jesus on the cross was to create, in Dr. King's words, a beloved community. And he goes on to specifically say this. Check this quote out. So deep. What's the motivation of all this? Quote, The cross is the eternal expression of the length to which God will go in order to restore broken community. The resurrection is a symbol of God's triumph over all the forces that seek to block community. And the Holy Spirit is the continuing community-creating reality that moves through history. He who works against community is working against the whole of creation. Man, where are you today? Yeah, yeah, glory. Having a good time. Being like, hello, I can help you if you listen. Man, it's so good. Believe that it's God's heart for the, the world that Christ died on the cross to create a redeemed community of love. Love for God and one another. That he called the beloved community. So good. 
So he lived with a conviction that if you're not, if you're not intentionally living with the cause of turning enemies to friends, you're not living with the fullness of the cause of Christ. Because that's core to the cause of Christ. Break down present barriers so the two can be one community, one beloved community, one family of God. So good. And lastly, we'll get into the motivation here. The source. I mean, we're already there, but going a little deeper, specifically on Matthew 5, 45, when he addresses, how can you love like this? We've already got Ephesians 2 and that motivation, that, that Trinitarian motivation that he mentions, you know, of the cross and the, the Father's will with Jesus on the cross and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit, a beautiful, um, that quote is incredible, got to be on walls. <laughs> um, but specifically about the Matthew 5 teaching on love your enemies, he's addressing in one of his writings, specifically his sermon or essay called Loving Your Enemies. But the question comes up, how do you love like this? And, he, and he, the answer is ridiculously simple. Quote, he says, we love every man because God loves him. But he goes on. There's, there's a depth and a richness to it. Goes on to explain, and he's talking about Matthew 5.45. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may... Show yourselves to be children of your Father in heaven. Causes the sun to rise on evil and the good, etc. So he goes on to say, and, and very scholarly man, master's degree, PhD, goes on to explain that in the Greek, there are three different types of love. And so when Jesus is talking about love, it's important to know what type of love is Jesus talking about. So the one that Jesus used here is very important. One word for love is eros. That's a romantic type of love, not obviously on Jesus' mind right now. Another word is phileo, which is reciprocal affection between friends, between people that we like. Reciprocal affection. This is not what Jesus used, and Dr. King would go on to say, that kind of love is impossible at times. There's no, like, and Jesus doesn't call us to. You can't like someone who's saying, I'm going to bomb your family. He's not saying that. How can we like, his quote was, how can we like a person who is threatening our children and bombing our homes? The word Jesus used, and it's a famous word, is, the, is agape. The way he defines it is so good and, and very appropriate, at least in my study of the word in, in the Greek as well. He says, this is agape, quote, is an overflowing love which is purely spontaneous, unmotivated, groundless. Agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people. It begins by loving others for their sakes and makes no distinction between friend and enemy. It's directed to both. It's an understanding, redeeming goodwill for all. Agape is the love that's seeking to create and preserve community. That fits perfectly with what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5.45, that agape love, it's, the, it's, it's undeserved. 
It's not dependent upon the other party doing something first that's good, so now they've earned the love. Now they're worthy of the love. Now they're good enough for the love. Now they've caught God's attention because they've got their act together enough to be loved. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's just like the sun shining on the good and the evil. It's like the rain being poured down on the just and the unjust. It's this spontaneous overflow from this eternal wellspring of undeserved goodness. And hopefully it's what's changed our hard hearts to say, I want to be a child of God. I want to receive that forgiveness. And Martin's saying, if, if, if you've caught that, if you've received that agape, and maybe some of you haven't. Maybe you're still in that place of, I've got to do enough so that I'm lovable. That's never been the gospel, and it's not the gospel. While you were enemies with God, that's a strong word. While you were enemies with God, Romans 5, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ loved you. And so Martin's saying this incredible challenge of get in touch with the agape love of God that you have received. And to the degree that you can really bask in, it's undeserved. It was coming at you far before you cared. It was coming at you while you were running the other way. It was coming at you while you were hostile to God. It was coming at you while you were an enemy of God. It's what we sing about every time. It's that reckless love of God that broke down all sorts of barriers. Even if and when we wanted nothing to do with God, it's absolutely undeserved, unearnable. And Dr. King says, so bask in it because it's the greatest news ever and now pass it on. Clothe yourself with that when you go out into the world around you. Because it will be a different method that comes out of you, a different motivation, and a different goal. And as I was praying on this and wrestling with this, and, and one little caveat before we're done, this is not the, the end of the story. This, I mean, in the sense of like, this is such a, a deep topic, many important questions rise up that need to be addressed at another time that we, we don't have time for today. So like, what do you do with a, an unrepentant demonic psychopath like a Hitler? Is there a time when it's appropriate to say, as Romans 13 says, the government bears a sword for a reason to bring justice? Yes, there is. It's not what we're talking about today. Or is there a time of Matthew 18 when someone has wronged you and you confront them, and they're unrepentant, and Jesus says, so excommunicate them from your sphere of influence. They don't, they're not allowed anymore into vulnerable places in your heart, in your world, in your relationships. There is a power that Jesus gives you to not be abused. That's a whole other message. We're talking about that 99% of where we live every day, where the world wants to put those categories on you, on me, on everybody. And as I was praying about it, I just felt like, what does it look like for me to clothe myself in this agape love of God? 
And I just kind of saw this picture of, okay, when I wake up in the morning and I'm going out into the world, and a lot of it's online right now, so you're reading people's perspectives, you're hearing, but just as we go out and when we interact with people, and the world, so the picture was like this. There's all these people out here that I get to interact with. It's part of life. It's inevitable. And I kind of saw these like circles drawn around people. Like that's what the enemy wants to do, is draw as many circles around people that, that defines them by how they're not like me, defines them how they're a different group, defines them by what offends me, defines them by what's different in my beliefs or in my actions or in my morals. So if for some, there's good reason why it's like, yeah, I'm not like that. Or I don't believe that. Or I'm not okay with that. But there's these really strong boundaries, right? And, and the world wants us to live by seeing that first in everybody. And this love of enemy calls us, as I was praying about it, I feel like, what does it look like to clothe that? And it was like, I saw all those circles and boundaries disappear and, and the sun rose and it was just, there are no boundaries in that way for God so loved the whole world. So go win some people to God. We win them to God by showing that agape love first and foremost. That's our primary battle tactic it's our primary method that we're carrying with us, rooted in deep biblical motivation to create the beloved community and turn enemies to friends like God did with us. So to be his sons and daughters and primarily show and demonstrate his love to the world, we see the world as he did. He loved with agape all. So that's our primary motivation, goal, and method that we're bringing. It's indiscriminatory in the way that we will shower undeserved love and goodness. Now, with that, the Bible also says, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So we don't turn off that we know, okay, I might be really opposed morally to this person's perspective on this or that or whatever. So you still keep that, yes. But your primary, deep-rooted, connected to God Motivation and goal brings forth this message where the world around you will experience a wildly undeserved goodness, kindness, love that God will use to change hearts. And that Jesus was not being impractical or idealistic when he says, this is the method that my kingdom will primarily advance among enemies. And so he leaves us with a, a great challenge of, Lord, help me live this out. Help me wrestle with this well. Help me not put this as one of those good, you know, footnotes or side notes and then get on to the normal Christian stuff. This is the normal Christian stuff. This is one of the few places where Jesus says, when you do this, you are showing the world as sons and daughters what God is actually like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we first and foremost thank you for that agape love.
that pours forth from the throne of God. That undeserved, unearnable, wild goodness, kindness, grace, and mercy that did seek us out while we were your enemies. And we pray that that, by your Holy Spirit's power, would continue to be more and more, become more and more real to us. That free gift of salvation that we receive in Christ. And Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit's power to help us become this as Jesus was. We thank you for Dr. King's example and legacy. And we pray, Lord, that we would be similar in the way that in our world, in our context, you would help us wrestle well with what does it look like to see the quote-unquote enemies, but then apply the gospel of your agape love and change the world around us, whether it's our neighbor, one person, a family member, a co-worker, or whoever you give us influence to interact with God, that we would be motivated with this goal of creating your beloved community, of breaking down barriers through your agape love. That's not weak. It's the most powerful force in the universe. And would you help us with wisdom to live out this method? Let's just take a moment of quiet and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what, what do you want to say to me? I feel like he, there's revelation that can happen in these times. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak right now as your beloved sons and daughters. We want to hear revelation from your heart for our life. What do you want to say to us this morning? May it keep flowing. Just take a moment.